Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Spring has arrived, and this episode is dedicated to the ways we celebrate our traditions with family and friends. Not surprisingly, Sonia and I discover a few similarities between our different traditions, and as usual, I learn something new every time I talk to her about food. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Music, and also please share it with one of your food friends, which will help us expand our community of food and friendship. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Please DM us at foodfriendspod on Instagram or send us a message via our site, foodfriendspodcast.com. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. It's great to see you. So great to see you. How are you? I am excited to be here with you and to start talking about this shift in season that we're having. Happy spring. Happy spring. We're going to talk today about spring celebrations. And we're going to first start with Passover. That's something that you do every year. And I actually, I've catered Passover many years too. Yeah, it's it's cool this time of year, right? Because especially, I mean, you you all have had an unusually cold, wet LA winter. We always have a cold, wet winter. And you can just feel like the energy bubbling up, especially in the Northwest. Like you really hibernate in the winter. The days are so short. Everything's so cold. People just naturally tend to be more insular to stay at home yeah kind of stay at home I mean there's there yes you do go out of course to do things like go to work or totally you know there's birthdays or there's but then there's something about this time of year it's like the garlic is really starting to grow the first Mm -hmm. daffodils daffodils have come out and I feel like there's this like call to like okay how do we gather again how do we spend time together again Passover is like the first big yes dinner of the year for me, I guess for many Jewish people who celebrate Passover. And I know folks who celebrate Easter, maybe that's for them. But like for us, you know, Passover is one of the major Jewish holidays and it's kind of a big to do. And so, yeah. And, you know, I'm not someone who celebrates Passover, but I have had a client that I've catered Passover with for many, many years. And, you know, it has its own symbolism for me because I always set out to go to the farmer's market. And that's when I start to notice these really cool changes. That's when you start to notice like peas coming to the market and all of these winter items like broccoli and cauliflower. But what they start to do is they go to flower. Yeah. You know, you'll see a bunch of baby broccoli, but it'll have these like yellow flowers on it or these white flowers. And it's like spring is starting and then we're starting the warm weather. It's a really beautiful time of year. And yeah, it's those signs. Like I call it also Rob season. We get a lot of like kale Rob, broccoli Rob, yes. Mr. Green Rob. I love Rob's. There's so much more than broccoli Rob, which is what you get in the store kind of year round. But at the farmer's market, it's like the tops of the plants, right, that have gone, that are starting to flower, about to go to yes, seed. Yes. They're so yummy. And the, fa- yeah. the fava beans come. Fava beans. And 
spring yeah, onions and green yes. garlic. And so there's just this change of season. There's like a festiveness about it. You know, I my family, I, we grew up celebrating Easter. And so there was always kind of like a, you get a new Easter dress, you know, you get like a new outfit to kind of start yeah. the season. And there's a lot of like hope and promise, I think, in the spring. There is a real sort of coming out into the light. It's fun to plan these celebrations. Well, and Passover is a real food holiday because part of the symbolism without getting too deep into the, you know, the Jewish part of it. But, you know, Passover is a holiday that commemorates freedom from slavery. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect on how do we enslave others? How do we, how do we feel oppressed? How, you know, what are the systems of oppression around us, both personally and collectively? And how do we emerge from that? And what is the opportunity for freedom? And what does it mean to step into that? And in Passover, there's like very they're symbolic foods you eat to remind you that you yeah. were once a slave or your ancestors were slaves and or even to just remind you of what it feels like to not have everything you normally have mm-hmm. so you know during passover you don't eat any leavened breads there's different rules for de- different sects of jews and there's also differences between how observant you are but the gist of it is you're not eating bread you're not eating most grains instead you're eating matzah which is like a dry, very dry (laughs) cracker that's just made with flour and water and that's it. And you can get gluten-free ones too. In addition, during the Passover Seder, which is this celebration where you have everyone over to start, to kick off the holiday, there's specific symbolic foods that you eat through the night. So you start you start with green herbs or like parsley or romaine lettuce. They, they have some bitterness to them and you dip them in salt water. Salt mm-hmm. water represents tears. And is, there, is this yeah. where the haroseth is yes. too? Right. It's, it's apples and honey and walnuts. Yeah. Haroset actually can differ based again on where your Jewish community lives in the diaspora. The Ashkenazi version is apples and walnut and honey soaked in like yeah, sweet Yeah, that's like wine. my personal favorite. <laughs> it's How good is that? Yeah. Um, in other communities, they'll do things like dates, bananas, and there's oh, wow. figs. There's all kinds of different harosets. But all of the harosets are meant to represent the mortar that was part of the building of the bricks the slaves built. You take your matzah your cracker and you put this paste of fruit and nuts and wine and the mm-hmm. sweet paste and you put it in between layers of matzah and also uh, during the seder you also add a layer of horseradish bitter horseradish there's symbolism in that right yeah there's so much symbolism and i think that's what you know what's calling to mind as you're sharing all of this i've been a part of this but this isn't the way that i was raised so i still am kind of learning it and deepening it and i think there's something so great about the repetition of jewish holidays this way because it's like every year you kind of learn a little bit more and understand a little bit deeper and i think that's kind of what this time of year is for me and i think for a lot of people is that it's both inward looking and outward looking you know yeah. sort of yes. reconsidering like well why do i do this and why do i and then also like what am i looking forward to you know there's like the spring cleaning feeling yeah. of like you know you shake out all the the cobwebs and then you throw open the barn doors and animals come out and i think there's there's something that i think we can all remember from our ancestors, which is that they're shaking it all out and and celebrating and coming out into the light again. And so and sort of slowly and like Passover is obviously a meaningful holiday. And and you know, our tradition is just to have any friends over. So we often have Jewish folks who are observant or not and non-Jewish folks. I've been to your Passover. 
remember. Yeah. I, re- I remember. I brought the flourless chocolate cake. That was the hit <laughs> of the whole meal that Ber- my friend Bernard claims was the best part of the meal. <laughs> well, it was it was my pleasure. I mean, I've been making it for, you know, uh, we shared that in one of our previous episodes. Yeah. You know, that's what I also find is so lovely that it's okay for me to not be Jewish and to be invited to Passover. And um, that's something that I that I really enjoy is like learning about the traditions and, and certainly in enjoying the food. All the voices of the tape at the table in my personal tradition matter. And it's, you know, it's particularly, uh, there's a custom in a lot of Jewish holidays that you're meant to invite, you know, even strangers in your home. And Passover is one of the main ones where you're like, you're really supposed to bring in anyone who needs a place at a table. And so- And certainly, I don't think anyone should like suddenly become Jewish or, you know, or even necessarily, no one has to believe in God or anything, but just like more, how do these stories, what do they offer us? How can we hear them differently this year? And so, I, yeah, I loved having you at our Passover that year. It was a particularly memorable one. Those listeners who celebrate Passover and host Passover, I think it is the most difficult holiday to host of any single holiday, secular, religious, Why or otherwise. It is such a to-do. It is. And in fact, like if I'm being really honest, this might be the first year in a very long time I don't want to host. Well, let's get into that because I'm so curious. I think, you know, I grew up celebrating Easter and Easter is also a a big to do. But I think when you're having these big gatherings of people, I think the question is, how do you plan ahead? You know, what can you make ahead? What can you ask other people to bring? So like, how do you approach? Well, but imagine if Thanksgiving had like 12 symbolic dishes in addition to to the main dish that you had to supply. And I think your point, what you were reaching at is like, how do you get the support you need? And that's sort of what I want to yes. talk about because one of the big changes for me in the past year is like, I'm start- starting to really sink into, I don't have to do this all myself. Right. I don't have to make every single dish at the Thanksgiving table. Wait, I- are you considering being a potluck? Yes. Passover? <laughs> yes. I am considering you know, potlucks. I feel strongly about letting people potluck at my house. For me, I don't have a lot of you know, my Thanksgiving is a big potluck and I usually go to someone else's potluck. There's something special about the sort of messiness of it, right? Well, like like this Thanksgiving, I did the thing where I hosted like 16 people and I made every single thing myself. And afterwards I was like, I didn't need to do that. There was no reason I had to do that. Granted, like almost everyone came in from out of town. That was such a revelation to the, I don't need to do that anymore. (laughs) Like, and I've done it. And it was, if you're inspired to do that, I think that's wonderful. There have been years where I loved doing the whole meal. Like I just got into a groove and like, I was in my joy doing all of it. But this year I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing it. So just briefly, I wanted to back up and say why Passover, I think is the most challenging holiday to host. For one, you have to have all the um, Haggadot, the the ritual books that you read the story. So you have to prepare those. For me, that often means like making photocopies and little folders because- People need something. They need to look at what's being what's talked being about. What's being talked about because right? there's a story being read. You have to have bowls of salt water. You have to have hard boiled eggs. You have to have a Seder plate, which has different components on it. You have to make the haroset, which we just talked about, the apple nut mixture. You have to have plates of fresh greens. Oftentimes you want to have snacks because there's kids and the Seder like takes a while to read. You have to have a lot of 
some wine. Everyone has to have four glasses of wine or grape juice. You want non-alcoholic things. And the matzahs. And you have to have matzahs and you have to have them. That's all before the meal starts. So that has nothing to do with the meal. And then the meal is really intended to be a feast. Like to honor this holiday, you're not just having like an everyday meal. You're having multiple courses, usually fish as part of it symbolically, matzo ball soup, and then your main and then dessert. So you imagine like that's a lot. That's even a little different than Thanksgiving. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I agree with you. I think it is a lot of stuff. So one of my friends last year had invited us to Seder. And I mentioned this on a previous, on our Thanksgiving episode, she has like a spreadsheet. Not only does she divide the the dishes for the meal, she puts on the spreadsheet, like who's going to say what prayers, who's going to bring wine, who's going to bring the hard boiled eggs, who's going to, she's like every component on there. And she tells you what she's offering. And it, I was like, this is so smart and takes so much pressure off of the whole event. And then everyone gets to bring something. We all get to contribute. It also creates a lot of community because people feel they're more invested in it because they're bringing a part of themselves to the meal. Exactly. Which I think is another really nice offering. You know? Yeah. And so I think whether or not this year you want to host your own spring celebration meal or Passover meal, or you want to have a potluck version of it, I have a template to offer. We, I think you kind of have to start there. You yeah. kind of have to ask yourself, because this came up when we were talking about Thanksgiving. You know, you made this really beautiful point, which I do feel this way sometimes too. And, and I'll offer this later when I talk about the spring celebration we did last year. But there are times when you just want to host people. And so you want them to come to your house and you want to provide all of the things. You want to make them a meal. You want to have the wine. And that is one certain kind of celebration. But what you're also proposing is this other way, especially for this holiday of Passover that includes reading and telling stories and eating symbolic foods and then having this feast, all these different components, that there is something to be said about people being invested in in that experience by bringing parts of themselves to it and signing up for different pieces of it. Yeah. I think no matter what, people can bring something to the table. But I guess what I think might be helpful to share is like having hosted Passover so many times and that you having been part of Passover yes. hosting so hired. many times. Yes, hired for Passover. Yeah, yeah. it's a job. I can offer just like the template I use. So what has made hosting easier for me is I'm not trying to reinvent the meal every year. Yes. I'm, I'm in a rhythm with the meal. So even if I translate that to a spreadsheet and start inviting other people to contribute, it's still a template that I I feel like can work really well. Yeah. So I want to know what all of those pieces are because even when I cater, I don't do all the elements. My client does, you know, at least half of them. She's the brisket baker. She's the matzo ball soup maker. I make a lot of other things, but I guess I've never done the entire thing. So I would love for you to share what, what does that look like to you? So like Thanksgiving, it benefits from doing things ahead of time. And like there's so much you can do for a Passover Seder ahead of time, which makes the hosting so much easier. Like you can do things weeks in advance. Okay, one caveat, everything I'm sharing is for folks who probably aren't ultra-Orthodox because when you're an ultra-observant or a very observant or modern Orthodox Jewish person, there's a lot of rules around your kitchen. And so you can't actually prepare a lot of things in advance because your kitchen has to go through a deep clean before Passover. So for me, like there's things you can definitely do in advance, whether it's a couple days or a week or two weeks. So the meal template for me without getting into the ritual foods is I love to start with some kind of fresh salad and or fish course. And I usually offer both because I almost always have vegetarians at my table. And traditionally people serve gefilte fish on Passover, but uh, very few people like gefilte fish. Do you serve gefilte fish? I do not because very few people like it. 
And okay. even though I like it, I'll eat it another day. So what do you serve as your fish and salad course? So I've gotten really into smoked fish. Like I loved a smoked fish platter or smoked fish salad for the fish element. And one year though, when you were there, one of my traditions was this composed starter of I got sushi grade hamachi from a fish seafood counter. Yes, I and, remember now. And I yes. did butter, um, little gem leaves topped with a piece of hamachi, topped with a, a sliver of grapefruit without its peel. So like a supremed, supremed mm. grapefruit slice drizzled with your cilantro mint oil. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Right. It's like a cilantro mint marinade for lamb chops. It's a... Um, a Wolfgang Puck recipe. And that's one of my favorite. If I'm really going all out, I love starting oh, a meal so, with that. That was so fancy. Right? But there's something about like citrus and hamachi yeah, and herb yeah. sauce. It's so fun to start a meal that way. That idea also represents the season changing that's happening because the winter is all citrus, but the spring is kind of like when all the herbs start to come out. Yeah. And- you know, the butter lettuces, like yeah. the, the really gentle, you know, the sweet spring lettuces that come out too. And so it's such an interesting way to think about communicating that in your menu, right? Yeah. And if you have vegans or vegetarians at your table, instead of hamachi, you could add a slice of avocado. And again, yeah. it plays to just what you're talking about. So in addition to some kind of fish element, I like to serve another side salad usually, like to just to go along with the first course, especially if people aren't wanting fish. Like if I did the hamachi, thing I would do just that but if I had like a smoked fish platter and folks don't eat fish then I would have a side salad and for that I love to do like a shaved fennel and fennel and fruit kind of crunchy Mm -hmm. and yeah a little bit heftier than like those those billowy lettuce leaves exactly and then I always do a for me Passover means matzo ball soup and I've definitely started doing like a vegetarian one too because or I'll make two pots. I'll make like, and that, that's something you can do well in advance. You can do that in advance, like a week, right? You can do that. You a could week do that months in advance because you could freeze it and it then all. you have your soup ready and it's done and you can have like two pots. You can have your vegetarian and you can have your meat if you want, or just do one. If you have a great vegetarian recipe, you don't need to have a meat one. Uh, and I did that last last year, the year before I did just vegetarian. And then I love to do, I mean, this is the time to spring on a great protein, right? Like this is a celebratory dinner. If you're able to, if you can afford to, if it's available to you, I love to do either a short rib or a lamb shank. You don't do brisket? I don't do brisket at Passover. I do it at Rosh Hashanah. Oh my gosh. That's, I feel like brisket is so symbolic for me because that's what my client always does. And that's kind of where I learned to love brisket. And I also, always have this funny experience like the client that I work with she and I are you know we've known each other for a very long time but there are all these other women in their family and they will pull me aside and quietly tell me what their brisket recipes oh, are. Oh yeah. Oh I make, it with, <laughs> I make it with the French onion soup and then the other one that makes it the different way and it just it makes me laugh. With the Coca-Cola? Time. Yeah yes there's that one too. This family doesn't do the Coca-Cola recipe but yeah there's like all these great brisket recipes so everyone's okay, so no got brisket for you. Rosh Hashanah's brisket and Passover is lamb or short rib. And short rib and brisket in terms of the way I prepare it flavor profile wise can be really similar. And because I'm doing like wine braises but with short ribs I always do and with the lamb I do pomegranate molasses in the braising liquid. So there's like a tanginess on the table. And then a root vegetable mash or 
which that's like paying homage to your grandmother yeah or i do potato kugel a cast iron potato potato kugel which is essentially like a giant latke or a giant roasty it's basically shredded potato with a little egg and salt and pepper and you cook it in a cast iron like a giant pancake and so it's very like like uh crunchy on top and soft in the middle and you slice it into wedges and that with any of those things is just so so yummy and it's very meaty like hefty so vegetarians can have it as like and feel like nourished and satiated even if they're not eating the red meat and uh i will definitely amazing yeah i don't think i've ever had a kugel that way i feel like i haven't had a lot of a kugel experience yeah but I feel like I've had the noodle kugels, not the potato kugels. So noodle kugels, first of all, you know, at Passover, you're not eating noodles because of- Right. Yeah. Right. And so I just got, somewhere like 10 years ago, I started making potato kugel for Passover because one, it's totally savory. It's not sweet like the noodle kugels. It's a savory dish. It's like it creates that starchy side, but it's a little bit texturally interesting. So if you have like a very tender braise, having like a crispy edge- The crispy potato. Are there other flavors? It's not just potatoes. Are there is there, are there garlic and onions? Are there any spices in it, or is it pretty? It's pretty basic. I do add onion. Some people don't, and I do like grated onion. So it's like you kind of melted. So you get a little bit of that like potato onion flavor, but it's not overpowering. It's not caramelized. It's not like no. cooked. But there's a whole world of kugels. Like there's broccoli kugel, zucchini kugel, cauliflower kugel. All of them play on the same principle, which is like you're finely grating or chopping or food processing these vegetables, adding a little bit of egg, a little bit of starch or matzo meal and some It's like a casserole. It's a casserole. Yeah, it's, it's Jewish casserole. casseroles. Well, it's it reminds me, and this this would not work, I don't think, uh, if you were more observant, like you wouldn't cross your meat with a dairy. But you know, I grew up. We would have um, these cheesy potatoes, which I think I've talked about yes. before, which are like a Velveeta cheesy potato, um, like frozen hash brown situation with like sour cream and all kinds of things. And and you just bake it all together and then you put like a crunchy, oh, what are they? Like some kind of cereal topping. Like yeah. Cornflakes. Yeah. You, so you bake it all together and then you put like cornflakes on the top. So you get what you're describing, which is this textural component. Yeah. I mean, that kind of dish is also really nice to have because it's got heft to it, right? You know, cornflakes, people put a lot on their noodle kugels and it's always a hot topic of debate. Like, do you like your kugel with or without cornflakes? So there's so much crossover in the casserole world. Midwestern casseroles and kugels have a lot of in common. a lot of (laughs) crossing. Totally. Yeah. And then the other, the last thing I'll say about potato kugel that's amazing is it can also be made ahead. It can be made ahead and stored in the fridge. It can be made ahead and frozen. And it actually tastes better reheated is my Is it humble. something that you put into your deep freezer? I do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Having a little awesome. kugel on hand is always a good thing. It's always a good thing. Okay. So you've got this rich braised meat dish and then you have like a potato mash vegetable mash or this incredible kugel situation. And then what else do you generally do? And the last dish that I'll have for that course is whatever spring vegetable is really popping. So often I do a mix of asparagus and sugar snap peas and I blanch them. I keep it so simple. I blanch it and I douse it with like lemon and herbs and that's it. And like maybe a drizzle This is where I think you and I have an exact, almost an exact commonality with my client. Usually what she does 
does is we have a brisket and the brisket that she's landed on actually has a more sort of tomato base. It's not as much as this like French onion kind of base. Yeah. It's, it's a it's more tomatoey and it's incredibly there's it's saucy and um and we usually serve roasted baby potatoes with herbs on them. But we have the same exact crossover with the vegetables and this is why also it's a symbolic time for me because it's when I go to the farmers market and I notice like what are all these green vegetables and I think the recipe that I based it on a Barefoot Contessa recipe she she posted years ago called like green green vegetables and it was like what you just described like sugar snap peas asparagus you can do green beans you can do the green version of cauliflower the romanesco yeah and you just blanch all of those and then what I do is at the very end I just saute them really quick with a little bit of olive oil and lemon and herbs and that's it you know so you have this like bright crunchy, green, vibrant item on your menu as well. It's so similar. We're making basically the same thing. And the good news about it is it can be served at room temperature. It doesn't actually have to be hot. It doesn't have to be warm. No, exactly. And the blanching for those who've never done it is basically you just take the vegetables, you put them in boiling water for like a few minutes till they turn bright green and are just softened. Like you don't want them cooked hard. And then you dunk them in ice water and that stops and that them from them. cooking. And it holds the color. That's the part that you're really looking for. I think it it also depends on what vegetable you have and how big it is. So if you've got like the most tender asparagus, like I'll pull them in for 30 seconds right. and then them, you know? So to me, that is slightly tedious, but like not really because you're just kind of, you're, you're just washing them all, putting them in each in bowls and then dunking them individually because you can't, you can't do them all together because they- They take different times. They cut. take different times, exactly. Exactly, but it is a little tedious, but it's another thing you could day, do the day before if you're yeah. going to sa- – because when you saute them, you basically – you're just doing it for a minute or two just to liven them Warm up. Warm them up, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. do it many days in advance, but one day I think would one work. One day is fine, yeah. And and it's nice to kind of get them, if you're going to saute them, to get them dry so that when you put them into the pan, they just immediately kind of get a little – like a little sear and then they're done. You don't want every dish to feel super complicated and over the top. You want to have some balance of, okay, the, the brisket's going to be a super flavorful umami, whatever. The potatoes are going to be rich and starchy. And, and you've already done your salad, so you're yeah. not like – you're not serving salad a alongside of this or you're not everything once you get to the the actual meal this celebratory meal everything kind of fits nicely on the plate it's like the meat the potatoes and the vegetables exactly and then you keep it simple because then you go on to the desserts and I feel like Passover desserts are so great so let's start talking and about nobody them. ever I'm so glad you said that <laughs> No, but really? No, people don't generally feel it because you don't, because everything obviously is gluten free, which sometimes gets a bad rap. But a flourless chocolate cake is so delicious. And then there's like an apple cake, right? Well, definitely. Just one last note before we talk about desserts. The vegetarian side I sometimes do is, uh, and I'm doing, I've been doing it this year. I'm going to have a recipe out that I can share, is a shawarma eggplant. Like, so I take shawarma spices and I roast eggplant until they're like very, very tender, like cut them in half. And that drizzled with some pomegranate molasses and some hit of herbs is a really lovely meaty vegetarian side. Oh, wow. I want that. That sounds delicious. Okay. Back to desserts. I just didn't want to forget. I'm so glad you said Passover desserts are good. I really don't think people feel that. Oh, I do. I guess, you know, I think most people love chocolate and I think a flourless chocolate cake is a really, really beautiful dessert. There's, I will just say for me, 
I've made this flourless chocolate cake for probably 15 years and I am still fascinated by how it works. And what I love about it is you separate the eggs and you kind of make like this meringue and then you put the yolks with the butter and the chocolate and the sugar and then you combine them together all at the last minute. And then when I watch it cook, it's like it rises to the top of my springform pan and then almost kind of goes up above it. And then once you take it out, it all falls back down, which just makes this like dense, gooey. So fudgy. It's so fudgy. And it's it's almost like too much. You know, I can only have like a few bites of it. Again, it's this really beautiful sign of spring. Like there's always some kind of berry that we're serving with that, you know, strawberries or which certainly reminds me of my childhood because there were always strawberries like on our Easter table and and always some version of whipped cream. Yes. And or or some kind of tangy cream like a sour cream or something like that that just added like a nice tang to a really beautiful spring berry. Well, I'm so glad you said sour sour cream and berries is like a very um, Soviet food. And we totally grew up eating that. And I just love it so much. But you can also, because I don't usually mix milk and dairy at my Passover meal, I'll do coconut whipped cream as the whipped cream for that. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. But then I've also, you know, again, at this Passover that I've been to many times, someone is always bringing these really nice chocolate, you know, like marshmallow chocolates. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Like so, yeah, so delicious. I mean, I might be mixing up my No, that sounds right. No, that sounds right. There are a lot of like candies and chocolates that are made for Passover and that people love to have. I There's kind of a couple desserts I alternate between year to year. I love the flowers chocolate cake. I mean, that's, that's usually at the table somewhere. Yes. But I've been really into pavlovas for Passover. I think pavlova is, I know it's old school and I know it's been done a thousand times. I just don't think you can go wrong, especially when you're looking for flourless desserts. Cause it's like you said, it's like whipped, it's a meringue. Yes. It's, it's egg whites. Yeah. And then you get to top it with whatever amazing fruit is available. Last year, I think Passover was really early. So the berries hadn't come out yet. So I did all kinds of like blood orange and citrus on top of the pavlova. You could get like a passion fruit fruit puree and you can do cream or coconut cream and it's just such a luscious dessert there's a woman in my family it's my sister-in-law's mother and I think I've talked about my sister-in-law and her sister and her mother before they're all really good cooks but her mother brings pavlovas she's brought them so many times to my house and like there's never a time when anyone is sad to see Leslie walking in the door with a pavlova and their family is actually from South Africa she'll usually bring like a passion fruit you know, oh, or she'll it. break or she'll cut up all these like mangoes and kiwis and all these sort of tropical fruits. And there's something to be said about like this big platter that kind of has all these elements, crunchy and and fruity, and there's always some kind of drizzly of something. It, it's yeah. just a cool experience. Especially after a heavy meal to have that like refreshing yes. burst of like there's such a lightness to it. Yeah, it's such a great way to end the meal. And my other two last you know, traditional Passover things are I love to do a chocolate mousse. I think chocolate mousse is another old school but really fun dessert. But isn't that dairy too? You can make non-dairy chocolate mousse. Okay. 
Yeah, there's some great non-dairy. Like the tofu? One? No, no, you, it doesn't even involve tofu. It's oh. uh, made with like egg white and melted chocolate. And we can link a few recipes. But yeah, there's yeah. tons of non-dairy chocolate mousses in the world. And there are ones made with like avocado. If you want to do like a healthy chocolate mousse, you could do that. And then I love, love, love matzah toffee. For me, like Passover equals matzah toffee, which is basically sheets of matzah that's you make a caramel base, a very simple like brown sugar and you butter. you do this yourself or do you buy Oh, I do myself. It's the easiest recipe in the world. We'll really? link it to. Nothing is easier than matzo toffee. It's the easiest thing anyone can do it. It comes out of the you stick it in the oven with this like brown sugar butter or margarine mixture. Oh my god! And then you let it you margarine. Know, well, if you can't use dairy, like oh right. right you mean but okay. it, but butter is better tasting. So butter and and brown sugar and you let that kind of bubble on the stove. It's not a caramel like where you have to worry about it crystallizing or anything like it's that. It's just kind of melted together. Yeah, it just melts together and you pour it over sheets of matzah and then you stick that in the oven and it gets super bubbly and then it, you take it out of the oven and you just um, sprinkle chocolate chips or chunks of chocolate all over and the chocolate melts with the heat from the caramel and then you just spread that into a layer so it comes out as like a layer of matzah, a layer of caramelly toffee, and then a layer of chocolate. And you can top it with sea salt or chopped nuts or sprinkles. Or Why didn't you serve that the year that I was at your Passover? That sounds amazing. Oh, because I, I brought the chocolate cake. <laughs> I think it was there though, Carrie. How did I miss that? That I sounds amazing. There. But there was so much to eat that day. <laughs> yeah, there was so much to eat that day. Wow, that sounds incredible. I'm so glad that we talked about that. I wanted to share an idea that came out of last year. You know, our family, we had a big loss last year. My mother-in-law passed away in the spring. Yeah. And the year before that, we had lost her sister-in-law, which is my uh, my husband's aunt. And these were two really important women in our family. And so, yeah. and they were both very festive. Um, aunt Taryn was a huge cook. She hosted every holiday. She you know, she hosted us for years and years and years and years until my sister-in-law and I started sort of taking over some of that. And so last year, one of the things that we did was instead of hosting Easter, we hosted Mother we hosted Mother's Day and we called it Spring Turkey. And Spring <laughs> Turkey was something that Aunt Taryn used to do, which was basically like Thanksgiving in the spring. And she would wake up one day and she'd be like, it's time for Spring Turkey. And she would basically create this giant Thanksgiving celebration, but with none of the rules, except that there would just be some kind of roasted turkey. Wait, and what, did she, so the date changed year to year? Like didn't have to be Easter. It could just be any time in the spring. No, it was yeah. And in fact, she would still host Easter. There would always be like an okay. Easter, which was very similar to the Easter. I grew up, my family would make like a ham. Um, my dad, my grandfather would make a ham and there would be cheesy potatoes. And my, my grandmother would often make like a big pavlova too. Do you and have any be... um, of those Midwestern salads at Easter? Yeah, there were some of those Midwestern salads, like the jello salads. That's when my grandmother, Ruby Lauritsen, would break out her like jello molds. And so then <laughs> there would always be some kind of like strawberry jello cherry jello situation one of the ones that my mom would make was like it was a pretzel it was it was like a casserole so it was like in like a nine by 13 pan and it would be like a crunchy sweet pretzel crust and then like a, a sweet cream cheese layer and then there would be a layer of like red jello like strawberry jello that had like strawberries mixed into it 
That and then you insane. would serve. It was like an icebox cake, right? A, it sounds so, so good and also it was so so, good. so foreign. I want. I can we please get the recipe? Yes, yes. We'll have to post the recipe for that one too. I'll, I'll have to call Chris Lordson and get her recipe. So when we hosted this spring turkey celebration, it was it ended up just being that Mother's Day everybody was available. It was like Thanksgiving, but with none of the rules. So I did roast a turkey. You know, we just had all these really fun springy sides, like a nice salad. And one of the things that we did to honor my mother-in-law, who was not really, she wasn't really a cook, but she was a very big personality, is that we had these pink boas, like feather boas, and everybody wore these feather boas. And the kids made a big, you know, sign that said, bring turkey, and they colored it. And it was really a festive way to get our family together. I love the idea of a spring turkey that like a spring turkey celebration requires no religious connotations at all. It could be any time in the spring. It could be for Mother's Day. It could just be on a random Sunday or Saturday. And I love this idea of still honoring the season with some kind of celebration. But I'd like to know more about the sides because you kind of went quickly through them. Can we we hear more about them? Yeah. I mean, what happened last year was almost like this permission to host this. You know, Taryn had shared this idea for years and years and years. And and I had wanted to do that with friends. I wanted to gather people together in the spring and just kind of have this big, it's fun to get together for Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving comes with a lot of these expectations of what people's own traditions are. And so there is a little bit of like negotiation, right? When you have, when it's a potluck. And so just telling people like, we're just going to have this big spring dinner. It's so fun and so great. It's funny. I can't remember exactly what I made. I remember that I roasted a turkey and there was like a herby sauce that we served with the turkey. And so like instead of cranberry sauce or gravy, you actually did an herb sauce. Yes, I did an herb sauce. Which was so much that was so much lighter. And then we did a big green salad. I don't know. I can't remember exactly okay. what the- even if you can't remember, let's say you tomorrow like next month you're gonna throw spring turkey. Cause I am curious like what you're thinking about serving with your turkey. Like what do you think would go in the spring? Would you do sort of like what we're talking about for Passover? Yeah, I mean I I'm so interested in this potato kugel idea. And I would probably put more in my potato kugel than just potato like than just potato and a little bit of onion. I would maybe add some kind of herbs or even take this riff of when you do the the potato and vegetable mash like maybe put other vegetables in with the potato with the potatoes because there is a little bit of egg in it too right yeah you could totally do parsnip or celeriac grated with the potato and a potato kugel would you put turnips in you could totally do that I think turnips like cooked I actually like turnips raw in the spring. I like them shaved thin like the Japanese turnips, the small white ones. But I think rutabaga would work, parsnips, celeriac, any of those. Yeah, so like a root vegetable kugel situation could be really fun. And or also just go back to like the potatoes. Oh, I know what it was. I remember actually one of the dishes, James's cousin brought her mother's, Aunt Taryn's. She called them trashy potatoes. (laughs) And she sort of called them that because they were this Midwestern potato. She grew up in California. And so when I entered the family as this Midwesterner, and then when she met my parents, she was so intrigued, as you are, with all of my mother's Uh recipes of like making these, you know, cheesy potatoes. So Katie, actually, she made the potatoes that Taryn made. So we had the turkey, the potatoes. I made a couple of veggie sides. Wait, wait, wait. What, what goes into trashy potatoes? I don't know what makes them trashy. It's the same idea as my par- as my family's. It was oh. like 
frozen hash browns, Velveeta cheese, sour cream, topped with cornflakes and board cheese. And you know what you make that's really good, Carrie? The aren't they like the twice baked potato skin? What is your potato skin dish? Yes, yes. I make a twice baked potato. That was one of the first dishes I ever made, like maybe in high school. Like you because I grew up eating a lot of baked potatoes. So you bake a potato and then you slice it in half and scoop out most of the inside. And then you take that inside and you mash it with butter and cheese and sour cream and scallions if you wish. Usually some kind of like sharp cheddar. That's what I like. And then you put it back into the little, these little like potato cups and then you can put cheese on top of it. Those are delicious. I mean, I grew up eating so many baked potatoes. That was like a staple in my family. You made it once for me and I was like, I could eat nothing but this. It's so good. Oh, that's so funny. I I haven't made that for so many years, but it's also a great idea because you can add other things to it. Like you could always do like a broccoli and cheddar mixed into your potato mixture or you could add other vegetables too. Yeah. Or I'm sure bacon if you eat bacon. Yes. Yeah. Crunchy bacon bit is always nice on that too, for sure. What I'm hearing, what I think is really great and is like the total opposite of Passover and the total opposite of Thanksgiving is it's just one thing, turkey. Okay. Turkey's going to be there. And then everything else is a free-for-all because the point is just to get together and have a reason to celebrate and spring is here and we're just all hanging out. I mean, that's one of the ideas that we wanted to carry forward and and remember Taryn with. And we were able to like honor my mother-in-law and we had gone through the pandemic. So even my son hadn't seen his grandmother for a few years. And so this is a way to communicate to him. You know, we were all wearing these pink boas and celebrating and it was like a way to communicate to him like my mother in law her name was carol but her grandmother name was glamma and so you know because she was too glamorous to be a grandmother and we were all talking about glamma and telling glamma stories and it's a way to honor her and to honor her memory and um and it and it doesn't have any to your point it doesn't have any rules it was just the rule of being together which was really nice last spring i really love that you honor her that way i think that's so beautiful that's what these gatherings i think can do right is like it's a similar idea and thoughtfulness when you're gathering for Passover, you're thinking about like, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to my Jewish identity? What does this mean to my community? And you're sharing that with people like me, Carrie, who have been invited to your Passover. But with our family, it was like, well, who were these women to us? And we created so many memories with them. And now we're carrying those memories forward and communicating that to the younger generations. And it's, it's a very, I think it's a very similar sentiment, you know? I agree. And I think there's so many other religions and cultures that do and honor spring in these gatherings. Like there's a world of spring gatherings we haven't even touched on. Yeah. All these ways that have historically for generations and generations around the world, people find ways to honor the changing seasons. And if you're in the Southern hemisphere, I'm sure there's something that, you know, is welcoming in cooler weather. And it's just these It's just a way to get people together and to create a memory and to share a meal and to connect and it looks different in each family. I have one random question before we before we move on. Do you have a hard time finding turkey in the spring? I had to order it. Okay. So yeah, you order it from order the grocery store. I had to order it special from my butcher. and But just because I don't think they just have like random turkeys just laying around. So yeah, I ordered it and picked it up a few days ahead of time. And well, that's a good tip though. So if you're looking to yeah. do spring turkey, you can, you can get it. You just have to ask. Yes. Or if your tradition is like a leg of lamb, like I think that's such a spring lamb is a, such a traditional dish. Oh, I love this. This is so sweet. I mean, it's making me excited to celebrate 
whether or not I decide to host this year. Yeah, it's making me think that maybe this year we'll have to do spring turkey again. Maybe it'll look different this year. I'm not sure. What a fun idea just to get people together and and there are no rules, which makes it a lot easier, you know? So fun. Well, I can't wait to hear about our spring celebrations after they happen. And yeah. uh, thanks for having this conversation with me. Well, thank you. Until, ne- until next time. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating! Thank you.